I very much have goals and I have objectives, but I, my mindset is more of searching for opportunities. And I don't like to use this word because it has some negative connotations, but being an opportunist and it's not an opportunist in the sense of taking advantage of people or in a malicious way, but it's more of just being willing to take risks and see opportunities where other people, they might see the opportunity, but they're too afraid to, whether it's a real risk or a perceived risk. I think it's really about always trying to look for opportunity Mm -hmm. and whether that's just opportunity to connect to someone who knows more than you with the perceived downside of them just telling you no, or you feeling like you're not as smart or whatever the case is. My guest today is Mike Hagensick returning to the podcast. Mike is the co-founder of the E3 Collective. The vision of the collective was sparked while Mike was a special education teacher working with children with complex needs. During this time, he worked with many great teachers, paraeducators, physical therapists, and occupational therapists. Through close collaboration and a shared vision of opportunity, students were able to access unique experiences and opportunities leading to an improvement of quality of life. As Mike transitioned into his new role, he started the Panther Academy for Water Safety in order to promote evidence-based learning to swim and water safety instruction to individuals with diverse abilities by integrating high-level teaching and community. PAUSE strives to deliver excellent programs for children regardless of their individual needs. In this conversation, which we recorded shortly before the holidays of last year, we really just unpacked Mike's 2020 and what he evolved from and how he helped improve upon not only the lives of those he taught, but those he worked closely with. I thought through this entire conversation, Mike really captured the essence of what it meant to be a leader. And it's not about being the smartest person in the room. It's not about always having the answers, but instead what it is about is how you interact with those around you so that they can feel confident to succeed or provide value in the work that they do. This conversation really laid a groundwork to how we can improve the quality of life of everyone, not just those we want to serve, but those who will serve with us. If you can extend that idea of service further beyond to other people, the better off we are for it. And so with that, everyone, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Mike Hagensick. On today's episode, I'm joined with returning guest, Mike Hagensick. How's it going? Thank you for having me on again. It was funny. We talked a couple of weeks ago, getting this dialed in to do this conversation. And not only that was, I had a notification pop up of one year ago of our previous conversation. So we're almost like a year to the week <laughs> on our oh, that's perfect timing then. Yeah. It's crazy. I was like, wow, has it really been a year? It's just it's so cool, but also crazy how time flies in many ways. And I think just like we were talking before this, the best place to start is just how you have been adapting to this changing climate with the pandemic because you're a coach. So if you want to give people your background, if they haven't listened to your previous episode, but we can start there and then just talk about how things have changed in your realm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A quick background professionally. 
I am the assistant swim coach at the University of Northern Iowa, and I also own and direct a swim school locally, and we're primarily focused on adaptive swimming, so providing learn to swim and, and water safety and aquatic therapy to individuals with special needs. And then recently, and we'll get into this later, I started a an organization called E3 Collective, and that is focused on providing resources and programming and professional development to individuals with special needs or families and the professionals uh, who work with them. And yeah, it's been really a very interesting ride since March. So we had our second set of twins. We have a a set of twin boys who are three. We had a, a set of twin girls at the very end of March. And that in itself was a really interesting transition because uh, at first we weren't sure if if I was even going to be allowed in the hospital. There was mm. uh, definitely that conversation. They obviously COVID was just starting to take off and we really didn't know what was going to happen and no one really knew how to navigate it at that point. Fortunately, I was able to be in the hospital, but it was it. COVID obviously has been a struggle for a lot of people and for me as well and for businesses in a lot of ways. But from a dad point of view, it has been a very big blessing because there are very few parents and specifically fathers in many cases who are able to be at home and and help out and spend time with their kids when they're first born for more than a week. So Mm -hmm. I got a few months really, and I was still working from home, but just being able to be home and be around them throughout the day was a really big blessing. So that's really the silver lining. But it was also a very strange time. So we live in a neighborhood and we have a neighborhood park that's right behind our house. And when they closed the park down, that was that was really one of those moments that it, it was hard to really wrap your head around because at that point, our boys were about two and a half. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can't really reason with a two and a half year old <laughs> why they can't go to the park. But that was just one of those moments where it's, it was just very surreal to have a park right out in our right out of our back door, but we can't go to it. And our kids have adjusted really well, even with masks, and they have to wear masks at, at daycare now that we're back to work and, and stuff. But they've adjusted well. They're so young, they don't really know the difference. But as parents, it's been it has been nice to be able to have more time with them and things slowed down where we're, we're able to spend a lot more time doing stuff as a family, a lot of outdoor time, which was really nice. And really just being able to focus on slowing down and spending time as a family. Professionally, it's been uh, it's been a ride. <laughs> so normally a collegiate swim season runs August, uh, September through about February, March. We actually were, we got through our conference meet and our season was over before COVID hit, but then we were shut down and weren't able to train until about middle of June. And then our conference actually pushed our season back to the, the spring semester. So we're actually, officially our season is, is running like December, January through the middle of April. And so that's been a really big shift for us. And we've, we're, we're still able to train, but even training-wise, it's been it's, it's very different having to spread people out and having different practice configurations. And then for our swim school, we've had to shut that. We had to shut down in the spring and the summer. 
And then this fall, we were able to open it back up for eight weeks. And then we actually recently just had to shut down our winter session that we were just going to start in on Monday. So that's been really unfortunate, but it just is where we're at right now. And we have a responsibility to help keep everyone safe too, but you know, it's, it, it's a hard balance. Mm-hmm. We want to be able to provide those services that the, that these kids need, well, but we still need to keep everyone safe and healthy. But another great silver lining, and, and we can talk about this later on, is the, the governor of Iowa set aside somewhere around $4.2 million for mental health and special needs related services. in Iowa. And so we were able to get a a large grant to buy a lot of new aquatic therapy equipment, which is really laying the foundation for some new programming that we're going to be implementing in the spring, depending on on what COVID does. (laughs) But so there's been obviously some challenges, but definitely some silver linings in there. Yeah. From what it seems to me is just appreciating the slowdown in your personal life so that you can Spend with time with the people that you typically don't get to spend as much time as you really want to, family being that one, and just keeping that going because especially in these times, I think having those close bonds is really important and keeps everybody going. I can say for myself that if I didn't still live at home or have like close contact to my parents and if I lived like solo, like single, it would be totally different feeling in this situation because it would be like you and the four walls are best friends, <laughs> you know? Exactly. Um, exactly. And then on, on the professional side, it's interesting. Cause I was thinking to myself, like anyone who's in a f- the physical space, being a coach or some sort of athlete in, in that sense, has to be so different just because you're so used to having that physical contact or just that's physical space being less of a barrier in typical jobs. And so now you have to either do a lot of things over the phone and somehow be a coach and a leader and dictate things to people or, and it just moves that element. And I'm not just, I'm just curious how that's changed for you and the, the day to day to get to athletes or communicating what you know to people. <laughs> yeah, it's been really interesting. So we, we are not able to have any in person team meetings. So we've had to do all our team meetings via Zoom and virtual. And that's, it it certainly is a great platform during these times, but not being able to really sit down and have in-person team meetings where we can all interact face-to-face definitely provides a unique barrier or, or a challenge that we have to overcome. And even just from the, the coaching side, it's, you're used to being within pretty close physical proximity of your athletes and really being able to engage face-to-face in person. And obviously during practice time, we're still able to do that, but having to make sure that we're six feet away or more and we're masked up and, and that, and those elements definitely creates some communication barriers where we've had to streamline how, what we do, which in a lot of ways has been a good thing. We've had to really rethink how are we delivering the information? How are we communicating? And this has forced us to become a lot more, no pun intended for swimming, but much more streamlined in our approach to to communication and be much more efficient. And I think in some ways it has helped us become better at communicating because it's, we've had to make it very bite-sized, digestible pieces. 
And so I think once COVID, once we get through uh, this this current situation, I, I do believe that we'll actually be better communicators on the backside mm-hmm. when we're able to do more face-to-face and, and in-person things, just because the parameters that we're given, we've had to really adjust how we do things. Yeah, I would say it's really the communication piece that's been one of the biggest changes. And then I, I, I do think the relationship piece has been hard. We're used to having athletes stop into our office all the time and just talk. And having that consistent daily interaction really builds those deep relationships and and you really get to know the the kids especially the incoming freshmen that's a great way to get to know them but obviously we can't just have people stop in in our office anymore whenever they want to and so that that part has been hard and obviously a lot of the team bonding things that most teams Mm do we're not able to we're not able to do and so I think that has been a challenge to really integrate the freshmen into their brand new to college, they're brand new to co- collegiate a- athletics, and now they're missing a lot of those pieces that helps them get into the rhythm and the flow. But again, we've had to adjust how we communicate and we've uh, you know had to adjust how we onboard uh, mm-hmm. new athletes. And so I think, again, it's a challenge right now. It will benefit us on the backside once we get through this. Those are all interesting points. And I, I do understand that, like the, especially the onboarding thing. I'm, I'm really curious, like how students, especially newer students are, are, have been adjusting to not only just college itself, but team bonding with other people. Are you guys doing anything specifically to reach out to students and maybe do small group things or just something that you can get to know people better, or at least provide some sort of community for people while they're, they can't go physically find it? Yeah, I think one of the things that has been really good is creating structures within the teams where the athletes can support each other Mm -hmm. and really encouraging that piece where with how the university rules set up and how the NCAA rules are, are set, the athletes have one had to learn how to ask their peers and their teammates the ones that they can interact with on a more face-to-face or closer way and then but it's also helped our upperclassmen really take on a leadership role of understanding that the coaches aren't always able to be there now to answer all the questions or really provide that same level of in-person support. So the upperclassmen have taken on a a much stronger leadership role Mm -hmm. and the upperclassmen, specifically the freshmen, have been more empowered to ask questions and lean on their peers instead of always just having that one contact person, which is typically the coach, which is a a great thing. But one thing we always tell our, our athletes is, your coach or your roommate will not always be there. Someday you'll graduate and you'll be, you could be living across the country or living in a different country. And you need to learn how to be able to build a large support network where you have multiple people that you can lean on for support or get feedback from or bounce ideas off of. And so this has, has been a challenge. It has helped accelerate that learning process where because you can't always have the same person or maybe your roommate was quarantined, you have to be able to build that larger support network where you have multiple people that you can be connected with. That's a really good point. And I don't think many people 
get that lesson unless until it's too late in many cases. And I find that it's a really good thing if that is actually happening. And I hope it is happening because it's one of those things that I think feeling isolated, especially in this time is so detrimental just to the quality of life for anybody, but especially young people who feel like they just can't go and find help or seek help is, is one of those things that I, I think is hidden from just the normal purview of what there are the impacts of what's going on here and to provide ways that people connect. It sounds like the NCAA and, and coaches seem to do that pretty naturally, just being like, nope, don't just have one point of failure here. From your sense as like a, as both a leader and a coach, how do you help people, even in your teams as directing for the, the Swim Academy, how have you had to help your team members who you might not have to, you're not in an office anymore as much, so you're not directly communicating, but as problems arise or empower people within that you're closely connected to, to make decisions when you're not around? I think one of the biggest pieces is really leveraging technology. We use a lot of the um, Google Suite features, so like Google Docs, Google Sheets, that kind of stuff, where everyone has access to the information. Everyone can co-create, share, and really work on those pieces in, in, in real time where it's not just up to the leader to have the information and to deliver the information. So I think that has created a sense of empowerment too, where we've been able to really leverage technology to, and for us, free features to disseminate information where, where people feel more empowered to make this decision independently, autonomously, where they don't feel like they have to wait for the leader to deliver the information, provide the information, provide direction where it's we're going to communicate all the information necessary. Here are the parameters, here are the structures, but because I might not be able to be there in person every time to help guide the situation, here's how you can be independent with those de decision-making processes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think putting independence for people first and letting them trusting people to know that they can make the decision on their own with all the information in front of them, I think is one of the most important things, especially in this situation where you can't just go and stop by someone's office. Like we, we had mentioned as a coach and because it's so easy to be like, Oh, I'm just going to go run it by the boss real quick and then stop by their office. And then you, you feel better about that decision. But now it's, I don't know what that person's doing. They might have something going on or it's just going to take too long for them to respond to me, especially because most of our communication is done via text at this point. If it's mm -hmm. not in a meeting, in some ways, it's a double-edged sword because it's so convenient, but also at the same time, when things need to get done, you just need to make a move. <laughs> so it's one of those struggles, right? Yeah, and I think the nice part is it is putting people in a position where they do have to, because they might not get that real-time feedback instantly, they now have to take the information that they've been given. And if they don't get or if the response might not be within the timeline that they need, now mm -hmm. they do have to really take a risk and make a decision on their own. And I think that's really part of empowering people, whether it's athletes or employees or the management team mm -hmm. is not always just being like, okay, I think this might be the right decision, but if I just pop by their office or if I just meet them at practice, I can run by them really quick, make sure that I have that safety net and then go. Now it, you might have that, 
you might not be able to get that response on your timelines. Okay, now I have to take the information. Mm -hmm. I have to take the parameters that I've been given or the training I've been given, and I have to make a decision and take that risk. And most times people will do great with it. And I think the other piece too is just communicating. If it doesn't go well, that's okay. We just adjust and do something different next time. Yeah. For you, it sounds like empowering people is huge for you, but also the communication is like the the backbone of that. What is What are the aspects of communication that really allow for empowering people on either students of yours or even people on your own teams? I think the foundation really comes from them knowing that you care about them and they know that you support them as a person and that decisions that they make or information that they use or and disseminate that that is separate from who they are as a person. Mm-hmm. I think that's really separating what they do and who they are is really the foundation for really healthy communication. But then I, I also think modeling risk-taking, modeling, authenticity, modeling, how to just be open and honest. I think those then, again, lay the foundation for really great communication later on, where if you are trying to communicate feedback or Mm -hmm. communicate expectations or communicate that you want them to take a risk, then the foundation is already laid that they know you're not going to dismiss them as a person or think less of them as a person or be angry with them. I think showing the authenticity that as a leader, you make a lot of mistakes too. That lays a foundation for communicating later on with, with, with communication that, mm-hmm. Hey, I want you to take a risk. And they feel like, okay, it is okay to take a risk because it's been communicated before that I can and it's safe and it's okay. And a lot of that for me comes from reading the uh, culture code. That's a great book. And it was, it was, it, it talks about communication starts long before you actually use words. And it's just really building that relationship, building that sense of safety and trust and ability to take risks. And then that really provides for healthy, positive, and productive communication later on. And one of the aspects of this that really stuck out to me is is the feedback piece of this. And I think it might have been talked about in the culture code. I can't remember specifically, but there's been science on whenever you give feedback, we tend to give more negative feedback than positive feedback. And because humans have the negativity bias, we internalize that negative feedback much more damaging than any positive feedback that may have been given. And so the from the research, they, they say we should be leveling the playing field at least. So if you give five negative comments, you should be giving five positive comments, but then also interweaving it so that you don't just backload all negative things on the end of that. So for you, how do you talk or, or provide feedback that's both candid, but also balanced? Yeah, and I think where, again, for me, where that starts with is the building the relationship side where before I give any feedback, we have a lot of relationship building conversations where it's nothing about what they're doing, Mm -hmm. whether it's athletes or our swim teachers, it's, I'm getting to know you as a person. And so I'm providing positive reinforcement in the sense of 
I'm validating who you are as a person. I'm showing interest. Mm -hmm. And and from my perspective, those are all um, points of positive feedback long before they, we even have a conversation about what you're doing, where I, where we kind of have more candid conversations. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think from my perspective and my experience is one of the traps of balancing that feedback is there is no relationship prior to that. It is very mechanical and it's very task oriented where even if you're providing positive feedback, it's more of a feeling of that person's going through the motions of saying, Hey, that was good. Instead of being like, I have a good relationship with them and they care about me as a person. And there's all those positive points of feedback and there's that positive feedback loop there. And then when they do say something positive, then I, I know that they actually mean it because they care about me as a person. So I think for me, the balance really starts with developing that relationship where we, they know me on a personal level. I know them on a personal level. There's that trust and there's, there, there is that positive feedback loop of I'm validating them as a person and as a human. And then much later on, when it is time to talk about more task-oriented or work-oriented or job-oriented conversations, then all, those, all that positive feedback has been invested where when, I, when we do have a, a candid conversation or constructive criticism or constructive feedback, then it's seen as they are trying to help me get better because they care about me as a person. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. It's, it's providing at least a, f- a foundation so that they understand that anything you may have to say, if it is negative, it's not attacking their personal value or them as a human rather than just you're commenting on the quality of whatever work it is, not them as it doesn't signify any value. It actually reminds me of how you were explaining the adjustment in coaching, where instead of showing someone, you have to be really explicit. And with the limitations, we have to really say, here's what I mean. Be really honest about that because otherwise people will flounder and not know what, I think one of the scariest things to be had is if someone I think in any position, even in personal life, it, not knowing where you stand in in the situation, know, knowing that the ground underneath you is unstable, which I know many people are feeling right now, is one of the scary situations. And if you can get that one little bit of feedback or just that one phone call that says, hey, it might be hard right now, but in a couple months, you're going to be good. Or if we do these few little changes, we're going to we're, we're going to bounce back. And that can change someone's perspective like night and day, like just having that little bit. <laughs> yeah, and I think too, when you're talking about that, it it also makes me think of the importance of modeling as a leader. I do think it's very important to be authentic and be open about your your failures, your fears. And they talk about that a lot in the culture code, but I also think it's really important to model resilience and flexibility and calm because it does no one any good for the leader to have a knee-jerk reaction and go into a panic. Mm-hmm. And with us having to cancel uh, a lot of our programming in the past six months or so, 
it would be easy for me to just be open to the point of mass panic. But the reality is this is just, this is a hurdle and I'm going to be open and honest that it's unfortunate and it's not easy, but I'm not going to panic. I'm going to look at this objectively and understand that this is the situation and this is how we're going to work through it. And I'm going to be honest that it's not going to be easy, but we're all going to be okay. And I think that's a really big piece too. And and I think on, on the coaching side, that's one thing we really have tried to do also where mm-hmm. as coaches, we're not panicking. Oh, what's going to happen to our sport? We don't know. And yes, this is hard. These changes have not been easy. And the uncertainty is not easy for the coaches. And we have expressed that, but expressing it in a calm, collected way where we're, this isn't easy for us either, but here are the steps we're going to take to continue to navigate this. And if we have to adjust course, we adjust course. And that's really just part of life. And I think having kids has certainly helped with that because every day is pretty unpredictable. <laughs> and <laughs> three-year-olds and seven-month-olds, they honestly don't really care what's <laughs> what's going on in your life. They just, they're going to do their thing and you have to learn how to be adaptable and adjust. And, and I think that has certainly helped me become a lot more flexible and adaptable and resilient and and really just calm and collected because yeah there's this things that that go haywire every day but you just have to roll with it yep i love it it's so it reminds me so much of just stoicism in general and i think building a sense of resilience is key and everyone can say this is a unique time that we're in and blah 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 or whatever but it's we all have these things that regardless of whether or not it's a global thing, you have something that is uniquely your problem to deal with and handle. And your response to that is everything. If you panic and your response is panic or whatever, then the option, like what options you or opportunities you're going to have outside of that panic are very small. But if you can at least understand that this is, I wish, like I would wish something would be better, but at the very least, let's make the most of this. And Honestly, that sounds like what you're doing. It's using all of these things as just ways to accelerate learning and providing the best foundation for everyone around you, which is ideal in, in this sense, or at least providing a sense of some sense of buoyancy, maybe. I don't know what the right word I want to use is. Yeah, and I think the word that I've probably used the most in the past six months or eight months or however long it's been is really pivot. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think that really is a very vital and foundational skill for the rest of your life. Whether we ever have this pandemic or not, and whether you know we'll ever have a situation like this again, I, I sure hope not. But I think being able to pivot is just such a key thing. And before, before COVID started, we were in the process of taking all of our adaptive programs. So our adaptive swim program, our adaptive ninja warrior program that we started. And we had a couple other adaptive yoga, adaptive gymnastics that were, you know, about ready to get into their pilot phases. And obviously COVID hit and that, and we couldn't do a lot of those programs and our in-person resource center. And there was a lot of in-person stuff that we had planned and we had done all this work for. And we just had to realize it was either give up and say, oh, this is the worst thing that could ever happen. And we put all in, in all this work and now it's all shot. Or we had to say, okay, 
how do how do we pivot? And so I figured out how to pivot and we just and we we pivot to more of a virtual platform where it's more digital resources, online courses, videos, downloadable PDFs, virtual consulting, those pieces. And I do hope we can eventually evolve and add back in all of those in-person adaptive programs and get them under one roof. But that's just not the reality right now. So we, we had to pivot and we had to make the, the most of it. And it's the same thing with our swim school. We we weren't able to have a lot of programming over the spring and the summer. And now we had to cancel our winter session. And I could, I could either throw my hands up and say, okay, it's the worst thing ever. And I quit, or I had to pivot and figure out how I use this time the best. And, you know, I was able to connect with a couple of ladies over in the UK and we're developing an online certification course. And there's a, a swim school I'm working with down in Florida to develop a virtual adaptive swimming curriculum and training course. And I've been able to use that time to still be very much involved in the swim world and the adaptive swimming world and the aquatic therapy world and still do a lot of good things in that space without and we just but we don't have the in-person stuff and that's i'm we miss it we want to have it back but we had a pivot and we had to keep moving forward on on positive things even if we can't do exactly what we planned on doing i think that's what people are people have to do the rest of their life if, if you're on one career path and it's not either going the way you want it to or all of a sudden there's this, this new opportunity you pivot and that with entrepreneurs all the time it's they have this one product in mind and they start charging for it. And all of a sudden the market tells them, no, there's, this is actually what has the value. And so you either keep charging forward on the course and maybe you make it, maybe you don't, or you pivot and you meet your customers with what they need and want. And you fill a, a, a void in a space. And then most likely you're going to be successful. So I, I really think it's all about pivoting. Yeah. I think you're right. It's one of those things is if whatever you're doing has enough intrinsic value to you, then you find a way to continue to do it no matter the external circumstances. And maybe that does mean certain amount of effort put in previously or in that was in the works ready to be released will be lost, but it will only serve to be fertilizer for what comes forward. And from what you've even described here, it sounds like a lot of great things have still happened that either would have happened just down the road instead of now they just got moved into a different spot. You know what I mean? It's all these different things. Just If they happen, it's just a matter of when is the right time to do them. And now is the right time then, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really, your priority list just changes and you reorganize your priority list and that's okay. Mm -hmm. uh, you say you have to keep moving forward even if it's not on the same exact path you had envisioned. If you listen to anyone who's been really successful, none of them say like the path I mapped out 10 years ago, I stuck exactly to that path <laughs> step for step all the way through. It was, I had a lot of pivots along the way and a, a lot of, of different detours and it actually led to something better. Yeah, absolutely. And to adjust uh, now for a pivot in this conversation, not to be a pun intended, but let's talk about your E3 collective a little bit and understand that because that happened relatively recently, I would say probably right around the pandemic starting point itself too. Yeah. So for the past two, three years, we, so we started our adaptive swim program and then shortly after we started our adaptive Ninja Warrior program and 
we started to get more people interested in working with us to start programming. And so we were, we, we were working with a yoga studio, a gymnastics uh, program, and then also a lot of parents were reaching out. And we, instead of having all these different offshoots of all these different programs, it was, okay, how do I bring everything under one roof and really create a resource hub and a programming hub for the first phase, people in the community, and then create a platform that could scale to reach people in the state, people in our region, people across the nation, people across the world. Obviously, those are very big lofty dreams, but we wanted to really create a uh, an organization that was truly there to support individuals, children and adults with special needs, their families and caregivers, and then also the professionals who work with these children, adults and, and families. And we originally were looking at ways to house it within the university. And, you know, that's just there's a very specific process to make those things work. And I guess I'm impatient and stubborn. <laughs> and then when COVID hit, there was a, obviously a, a lot of budget concerns and funding changes and the priorities for a lot of the people within the university system shifted to COVID management. And I understand that completely, but I didn't want so this idea to just go away and just disappear because these children and adults and families and, and professionals, they do need these services and, and they do need, and they do need these opportunities because providing access and opportunity is truly what we're all about. Uh, whether that is in-person programming locally or across state or helping others provide that access and opportunity where they're at, that's what we're here to do. And COVID hits and that obviously changed things with in-person programming and budgets and spending and, and funding and all those pieces and reached out. And I have a close friend who is a parent with her twin daughters are three, three and a half now, and they have autism. And the more we talk, the more we, we realize we just need to do this. And so we, in, over the summer, we built the framework. And then in August, we launched E3 Collective, which, like I said, is an organization that is all about providing access and opportunity. And so E3 stands for Equip, Empower, Encourage. And so we're trying to equip parents and caregivers to really provide the best support and environment for children and adults with diverse abilities. And then empower, we really are trying to empower children and families through these exceptional opportunities. You see a lot of times with these in-person programs and virtual programs, this, the life changes that happen when they have the access and opportunities to these experiences and they completely change and then they feel empowered. And I, and when I was teaching uh, special education, I, I saw it with, with my kids. It was they, when I got them access and opportunity to these experiences, whether it was cooking or swimming or a different canoeing and kayak, they never would have had access to before. It really just empowered them and it gave them confidence and it changed their perspective on life. And then, and then the last piece is encouraging the community and professionals to provide these opportunities. And so it's not just about us 
creating more programs. And that is a big focus point for us, but it's also how do we encourage communities around our state, around the region, around the nation, around the world to provide this access and opportunity to these experiences. And so we launched this officially in August and obviously due to COVID, we had a pivot. So it's uh, been primarily virtual, but we still have our adaptive swim program just because the pool allows for a unique environment to allow for more in-person programming. Obviously, we've had to take a lot of different safety precautions and make some changes there, but but we had to make the pivot to doing primarily virtual first phase now, which was really phase two or three later on, but that had to get moved up to phase one. And what we really have created so far is a resource hub where primarily all of our resources are, are free and they range anywhere from different parenting resources, strategies, skills, games, activities that support all types of different developmental areas like fine motor skills, communication, activities of daily living, cognitive skills, self-advocacy and but then also providing professional resources to really bringing everyone to the table so we're bringing different professionals from all different fields together to the table to create the best possible opportunities and experiences that we can and we have found that with all these professionals working together and sharing resources everyone is doing their job better everyone has a different perspective different resources to be able to do their job better and that includes me I, i've been able to do my job so much better because i of the people i'm i'm learning from and when you see speech language pathologists working with occupational therapists or physical therapists and you know the occupational therapist is realizing all these different communication strategies that they can implement in their practice and the speech language pathologist is realizing all the either fine motor or sensory stuff that they can implement in, in, in their practice. They're just meeting the kids more holistically and they have a more comprehensive approach. And by integrating all of these pieces, everyone is just able to provide even better opportunities than what they were. We have amazing professionals who, who are providing great opportunities prior to this, but now that we're continuing to work together and share, we really are the, the sum of the whole truly is greater than its parts. That, and, and we're really seeing that through this collaborative work. Yeah, that's awesome. And it, it reminds me of this idea I've heard recently. It's humans are the most generalist species of all. And what that really means is we have very individual specializations, but then when we come together, we can make huge changes because of how generalist we are as a species. And that example right there really goes to show just how many different specialties can come along. And then just learning a little bit from a different specialty can fine tune everything to just work that much better. And it just how much work you've put into this is just amazing to, to see how many different things you can do to, and then just having the interest of all these people from different places be it from yoga to water to anything and everyone wanting to get on board with it, I think is, it's awesome to see that, especially even in this time where it seems like that would be a pipe dream to, to hope that for that. <laughs> yeah. And we've been really blessed to meet a lot of great, passionate, dedicated, committed individuals in their profession. And I think that's where I just realized 
the true power of networking. I, I think I've had a very unabashed approach to networking. I, I don't know if that was personality or it was learned or probably, it's probably been a combination of the two, but I just have never really been afraid of just kind of cold calling for lack of a, of a better phrase, people and just saying, Hey, I have this idea. Let's talk. And over the years, I've just have built a lot of great relationships with very dedicated people. And that has shown me that the power of networking can really benefit everyone. I think it was now taking my network instead of me being in the center and then everyone being spokes out from me, it was, okay, taking my network and really wrapping it all around and Mm -hmm. bringing everyone together where it was, okay, I'm going to connect this person with everybody else in my network. I'm going to connect this this person with everybody else in my network. And so we can all talk together and share. And that has been a really powerful experience. And I've learned so much and I've been just very blessed. And when I look at the future of our swim program, we, and I'm going to use that as our specific example, it's I'm now I'm so much better able to bring in strategies and skills from a speech language pathologist and an occupational therapist and physical therapist and yoga instructors and bring in social emotional learning. And it's, and I can go on and on about all these different professionals where I'm able to take multiple pieces of what they do all day long and bring them into the program that I have. And it just makes it a hundred times better. Yeah. And it wasn't because I was this super genius who came up with all these ideas on my own. It was, I don't know. And how do I get better? And there's people who are way better than me and who are in the, who've, who've been in their field for 35 years. And I need to learn from them. Because this isn't about my ego of me knowing everything. It is about how do I best serve these kids and adults and families. And if I don't know the answer or I think I can do it better, I need to reach out to someone who's a lot better than me. Mm-hmm. And so I think that has been one of the other pieces I've seen is a lot of people have just been able to, and, and, and it's human nature. We all have an ego to a certain degree, but when we've, wrap this network together, it really helped everyone set any part of their ego aside and just say, okay, how do the two of us or the three of us or the four of us bring all of our skill sets to the table to make one one product or opportunity even better? Yeah. And and we've seen that across, you know, the globe now. We're we're doing a global aquatic educator summit and that's going live in January. We have presenters from, I don't know, eight, nine, 10 different countries. And it's amazing how much everyone does truly want to connect and share. And they realize that it's not about me protecting my intellectual property because someone's going to steal it. It's if we all do this together, my program or what I'm doing is going to be even better. And so I think that has been a, a really powerful piece for me too, is just seeing everyone realized that together we are absolutely better. It's not this scarcity mindset. Mm -hmm. I think what you've done here too is give people an honest goal of what are you aiming for? And it's the betterment of people who, who are underserved at the end of the day, really. 
And it's helping not only the kids live a life that's more fulfilling for themselves, but also for the parents to feel more comfortable about what their children are going to be able to handle on their own and one at some point in the future. I think it's really easy for people to look at that and just be like, yeah, that's something I should shoot for because everyone wins regardless. Nobody really loses in, in this situation because everyone just is able to do more with what they've been given. I think that's that's one noble and it's awesome to just see how many people find that torch and want to keep running with it too. It's so cool just to hear all the stories. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's been, it, it really has been a blessing and I've just been extremely fortunate to meet all the people I have and everyone in my network is uh, way better than I am. <laughs> and they just, and really the, are, you know, I would say, and we have this on our website and we say this a lot, really this, the superpower of E3 Collective is just everyone coming together with the common goal of serving individuals with special needs and their families and professionals. And that really has been the, the superpower of just everyone coming together with a common goal and setting any sort of ego or fears aside and just saying, hey, we're all going to share and we're all going to make this thing better. And that's been just so powerful to see. Mm -hmm. We're almost at an hour. And I think the place to end here is just talking about putting a goal together and, and kind of summation in more general terms about pulling a collective together or giving people a common goal to strive for and how that can help anybody, especially in this situation that we're in in 2020 is, I think having a common goal to be cliche or even like a common good is, is so important and I think it's underlooked at right now. And so is there anything you want to add there just about setting goals or, or chasing something that's just good? Yeah, I think really understanding your purpose and your principles are very, are really lays the foundation for everything that you want to do. And I, and there's Mark Devine has a training training course called Un Unbeatable Mind, and he has a podcast, and he has written a bunch of books. But his material is fantastic. One of the big things he talk talks about is purpose and principles. So really understanding what your principles are as a human, and then using those to really define your purpose. And once you have those pieces figured out, then the goal setting is a lot easier mm -hmm. because then everything has to be steered towards that purpose and has to align with your principles. And if, and if those goals don't, then you need to reevaluate. And I think what I have found is not, don't get me wrong. I very much have goals and I have objectives, but I, my mindset is more of searching for opportunities and I don't like to use this word because it has some negative connotations, but being an opportunist and mm -hmm. it's not a, a, an opportunist in the sense of taking advantage of people or in a malicious way, but it's more of just being willing to take risks and see opportunities where other people, they might see the opportunity, but they're too afraid to, whether it's a real risk or a perceived risk, I think it's really about always trying to look for opportunity mm -hmm. and whether that's just opportunity to connect to someone who knows more than you 
with the perceived downside of them just telling you no, or you feeling like you're not as smart or whatever the case is. Right. I think it's really just seeing, trying to see opportunity wherever you can. And that helps, that also helps you set goals because the more opportunities and you have, the more you can align those with your principles and purpose and then create lighter goals instead of just having this very lofty goal that you may not see the steps on how to get there. And that's a somewhat rambling way of me saying, I think everyone should be a lot better about networking. That's besides just having a purpose and and knowing your principles. That's really my rambling way of saying like the more people network and you don't have to call it networking. You can call it communicating. You can call it developing relationships. I don't care what you call it, but meet with people. Mm -hmm. reach out to people. Don't be afraid of that because the more you connect with people, the more you develop those relationships, the better you can be as you learn. But also you don't know what great opportunity you can co-create with someone or a, a group of people. And that may or may not answer your question. But I think that is one last piece I really want to add is just really be willing to develop relationships with people because it really creates great opportunities for you and for others. It's just this podcast, an example of networking. It's it's just talking to people who know things about whatever they've done in their life. And the only way you can learn about those things is by communicating with those people. And it reminds me of a Mark and Reed quote, and I'm going to butcher it because I can't remember specifically, but it's don't underestimate a, a group of highly motivated people they can change the world. And I paraphrase that it's not exact quote, but I'll find it for the show notes for those interested. And <laughs> it's, it's one of those quotes that I really, I resonate with because it's no matter how small of a group of people or how little notoriety or money or whatever metric you decide that you say you don't have enough of, if you put enough time and effort into it, you can make something happen and you can change people's lives for the better. And, and just combining unique skill sets of people who you might not know otherwise is the magic of that because you can only go so far with yourself. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And that's a big thing of what they, they talk about it in, in the culture code. And I think that's where you just see when you have a group of like-minded people or people from very different viewpoints actually coming together for a common goal, mm -hmm. you start to see less barriers and you start to see more opportunities. And I think that's the, that's really the, the power of it. Just as a quick last question is, I think to end is if anything that has worked for you when you become either unfocused or overwhelmed in this, not even just this time period, but more in general, what has helped you reset and get back on task and focus or maybe reevaluate or refine your purpose when you feel like you don't have lost your way maybe? <laughs> yeah, I think some really simple things for me is taking a walk in nature, whether that's in the woods or some sort of trail. There's something about being in nature and being disconnected from your phone that per certainly provides a very calming effect. Mm -hmm. And the other piece for me is, and, you know, I haven't, I want to be much better about my own personal swimming because I, I know it's a very great therapeutic thing. And it's just finding time, obviously. Being able to just spend time in an environment like the water where you have that sense of freedom has been 
has, has really been able to be a very common effect for me. So I, I would say those, those two are big things. And then if you're getting overwhelmed or you are starting to lose sight of what you're doing and who you are, go do something for someone else. You forget about your troubles and problems. And when you focus on someone else, you can certainly help reorient your mind. I guess those, those are my, my three big things. Just to wrap up, where can people connect with you across the internet? Yeah, so our website is e3collective.com, and that's with the uh, numeral three. You have my email. You can put in the show notes. My collective email is mike at e3collective.com. We have social pages. I can send those to you and you can link those in the show notes. Yep. But anyone who wants to reach out via email, you can even put my phone number on there if you want to. I'm always happy to connect with, with anybody, help out or learn from that person. We were on social with E3, our swim our, our swim school and I'm personally on, on social also you can you can tag all those in there uh, but good. feel free to reach out Alrighty, sounds great and I will definitely do that for anyone interested in connecting with Mike and learning more about what he does and how he does it as always I really appreciate the time you give me and just hearing about what you've done is it's empowering it not only is it's cool to see what you're doing but it helps me understand what I do and gives me fuel, more fuel for the fire for myself. So it's been really fun to just continue to hear your journey. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to let me come on the podcast and share what we're doing. And I love what you're doing. So great work and keep it up. Yeah. It's keep on going. Consistency exactly. and perseverance. That's those are the two things. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I wanted to take some time here and talk about how you, the listeners, can support Feeding Curiosity. I've always believed in providing more content to whoever listens to this of value than what you'd ever pay for. I don't like the idea of having to sponsor myself with products I don't use or believe in. If it's something I use and believe in, then sure, I will talk about it and I will do everything I can to do that. And I've done that on this podcast before. Not sponsored, but I've talked about many products that I believe in. But in the aims of choosing to create a new model that I believe in and that we should all be striving for is breaking ourselves away from the subsidized model that ads provide. And so with that, we have turned on the uh, anchor.fm support structure which allows you, the listener, to subscribe to our content at the level of your choosing. That is either a $0.99, cents, $4.99, or $9.99 a month. Meaning that you, the listener, and me, the creator, can be transparent about how much value you see in our content. And by doing so, that allows me to have more resources to ever increase the quality of this content. And that's not to say I won't be doing this anyways, but it breaks me out of the loop of having to worry about those things because there is a lot of time that goes into this podcast, but I love it. And I hope that by you choosing to support the podcast, you know how much I care about the quality of this content. And so with that, everyone, thank you all for listening and I hope you enjoy.